It has been said that if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it or you'll ruin it. But I think we all realize that there is no such thing as a perfect church because churches are made up of people. People are not perfect. Pastors are not perfect. And so, even though Harvester is not a perfect church, we would have to admit that, hopefully it's been a perfect church for you. And I want to uh, talk to you a little bit today because when we, when we come to the Scriptures, many times when we're talking about uh, kind of a pattern church, we go to the book of Acts. We look at that first church of Jerusalem. And uh, we focus in on that second chapter and that fourth chapter uh, about uh, how the early church got started and, and what they did. And they become kind of the pattern for most of our sermons on... Uh, on model churches, but, and, and rightfully so, they did a lot of things right. But what if I was to tell you this morning that the church we're going to be looking at today is actually referred to as a model church? I find, don't you find that to be kind of interesting? They are a model church. And, and what does that look like? What does that look like? And I want to give you uh, four building blocks this morning for uh, a healthy church. Four building blocks for a healthy church. And I know Pastor Bob in his uh, Fort Wayne School of Urban Ministries class that meets here on Thursday nights. He's been, and, and some of you are in that class, by the way. You've been studying growing a healthy church. And uh, what does that look like? Some of the Dan Spader uh, material from years ago. And uh, so I, wanted to, I just want to tell you a little bit about this model church. One of the first things we need to realize about this church is that it was, uh, this church was founded and planted about 18 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So... This church is one of the earliest churches that we have any information on as to what the church looked like in that first century. And uh, so we want to, we'll, we'll be looking at that. Uh, this church in Thessalonica was filled with brand new believers. And if you remember last week when I gave you the introduction to the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, we talked from Acts chapter 17 which is the story of the, the, the founding, the starting of this church in Thessalonica. And one of the first things that the church experienced was persecution. And as a result of that persecution, uh, the Apostle Paul, who would have liked to have stayed there longer to teach these baby Christians and to disciple these baby Christians, he was not able to do that because he was literally... Uh, his, his life was at stake had he stayed in Thessalonica. So that's where we're at. It's a, it's a baby church, and I want to give you four characteristics. Let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. It says, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father three things. All right? 
Paul's going to talk about three things that he constantly praises the Lord for in his prayers. And these are great. These really are. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And here in that verse, that third verse, we have some of the essential virtues of salvation. In fact, probably some of the greatest evidences that a person is saved are those three things. Faith, hope, and love. Does that sound familiar? 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now remain these three. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And as Paul writes this book of 1 Thessalonians, you will see those three uh, essential virtues to the Christian life throughout this book. Faith, hope, and love. So we're going to look at that first one. Your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. And what he's saying here is that these works verified that they had faith. They were the results and they verified that this church had faith. It was the work that they did. And then he goes on and he uses a word, your labor prompted by love. And that word labor that's used there is a very interesting word. It's the word kapas. And that word literally means toil to the point of exhaustion. That's what this church was known for. The first thing, the first building block, it was an energetic church. There was a lot of energy there. All right. Toil to the point of exhaustion. It, it's effort, it's, It was effort that strains all of one's energies to the maximum level. These baby Christians, they were all in, as we would say. And if you look over at verse 9 of the same chapter, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They served with so much energy and so much strength, it led almost to exhaustion. That's how all in they were. Can I ask you a question this morning? When was the last time you served the Lord to the point of exhaustion? I mean, really. That's what this church was known for. And then they were also known for their endurance, which was inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word endurance means a staying power under pressure. A staying power under pressure. Even though they were baby Christians, when they suffered this pressure and this persecution, which Paul says in verse 6 was severe suffering... And how many of you would agree that if Paul says something is severe suffering, Paul knew what he was talking about? And he says about this baby church, you have suffered severe, severe suffering. 
He goes on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And he describes a little bit of this persecution and suffering that this church was going through. For you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen. The same thing those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men. And he just talked about just the, the total persecution and pressure that these baby Christians were, were under. But they, the staying power under that pressure. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. They didn't bail out. They stood up under that pressure. And Paul commends them uh, for that. This past week, uh, one of the books I was reading is a book uh, entitled, uh, it was actually given to me, I didn't even buy this one, uh, An Unstoppable Force. And it's a book that's, that was written a few years ago by Erwin McManus. Some of you might remember that name. He was kind of... Uh, he was kind of one of the leaders of the emerging church a few years ago. Pastors the Mosaic Church in uh, Los Angeles. But as I, and, and the subtitle of the book was, Daring to Become the Church God Had in Mind. That's the subtitle. An unstoppable force. Daring to become the church that God had in mind. Anybody here desire that for Harvester Church? That you be the kind of church that God had in mind. Unfortunately, many times our churches become what people had in mind. But he said this because he has built this church in Los Angeles around this third verse. This is their congregational mission. And I love this. He says this. We have established our congregational mission around three things. Number one, to live by faith as a congregation. That in itself is powerful. To live by faith. Second, to be known by love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. What? If you go to church. If you sing in the worship team. If you teach Sunday school, if you put money in the offering plate, uh-uh. by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. There is no substitute for love. There's no substitute for it. And he says his congregation, he wants his congregation to be known by love. And third, I love this one, to be a voice of hope. To live by faith, to be known by by love, and to be a voice of hope. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. And he takes it from this model church here in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Verse 4 says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. And uh, that word that's used there for brothers, that very affectionate, that very endearing term that is, is used there, Paul will use it 15 times in the, in the book of 1 Thessalonians. The idea of brothers, affectionate. 
You know, when I hear that, I, I think back on when I attended the Fort Wayne Bible College and I had a professor who's, uh, some of you know, Robert Strubar. And uh, Robert Strubar, whenever he would teach, his favorite word was beloved. And it got to almost be a game because some of the students would keep track of how many times he said beloved during the class. But he was such a affectionate, such a loving professor that it did not sound out of place at all when he would call his students beloved, beloved. And he would use it a lot. And I, so I always think of that when I think of Paul 15 times calling them brothers here in, in this passage. Not only was it an energetic church, in verses 5 through 7, we see that it was an exemplary church. An exemplary church. It says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And that's a key point right there. You know... I believe it's okay to have mentors and people that we imitate that are farther along on a spiritual journey than we are. I think that's fine to do that. But I think Paul cautions us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, continue to imitate me as I continue to imitate Christ. And I think it's very important the way they say it here. You became imitators of us and you became imitators of the Lord. Okay. Because we all have feet of clay. We all have weak areas. And uh, I think the key is if you're going to imitate someone who is a Christian that's farther down the road from you, that's fine. But only imitate them as they are imitating Christ. All right. It was an exemplary church. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Who gives joy? The Holy Spirit. I could give a little plug for my class. I'm going to be teaching coming up pretty quick on Philippians, uh, the epistle of joy. But that's one of the things that we talk about is the Holy Spirit is the one that produces joy in our lives. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. Um, So it was an exemplary church. Look at verse 7. And so you became a model. A model. The word model refers to a stamp or a die that was used to reproduce coins. And the picture here of being a model is to leave a mark. This is the same term, this word for model, is the same term that's used over in John chapter 20, verse 25, about Thomas, when he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands. That's tupas. That's the word for model. Unless I see that impression. And the church in Thessalonica had left an indelible impression on people for Jesus. I mean, look at that. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
Now, that might not mean a whole lot to you. But let me explain what an indelible impression they left and how far-reaching that impression for Christ was. Macedonia was the northern province of Greece. It included such cities as Thessalonica, Philippi, Derby. You've got the back of that map that uh, I gave you last week on your outline, if you want to look at that. The northern province. Achaia was the southern province of Greece. And two of the main cities there were Athens and Corinth. Okay? Now, if you know anything about geography, those are pretty far apart. Thessalonica, Philippi, and Derby are pretty close. But when you start talking Athens and you start, start talking Corinth, you're talking from Thessalonica to Athens, 313 miles. I want you to get a hold of this this morning. This is a baby church who has left an indelible impression on people 313 miles away from them. But I want to take it one step farther. What would that look like for Harvester to leave an indelible impression on some place that's 313 miles away from here? You know, there is such a place. It's exactly 313 miles from here. It's called Traverse City, Michigan. I want you to think about this. Through their faith, their hope, their love, they left an indelible impression that would be the same as Harvester Church leaving an impression on Traverse City, Michigan. That, to me, is like, wow. And they were a baby church. But they were an energetic church. And they were an exemplary church. And that, that testimony, that witness, went that far. It's incredible. It's incredible. But, but don't just stop there. Because not only was it an energetic church and an exemplary church, in verse 8, we find out it was an evangelistic church. It was an evangelistic church. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Now we're going to go farther than that even. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. How far is the range of evangelism for you? How, how far does your light shine? They had a desire and a determination to see lost people come to know Christ. Their faith and God had become known everywhere. And it's just a baby church. They were an evangelistic church. Verses 9 and 10. They were an expectant church. An expectant church. 
For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols. And by the way, let me say this. Most of the people that lived in Thessalonica were pagan people who worshipped idols. And why, why was that such a common practice? Because less than 50 miles away from Thessalonica, you had Mount Olympus that supposedly was the dwelling place of the Greek gods. And they made idols out of everything. They were in the middle of just an idolatrous culture. Just a, it was very normal. It was everyday routine to, to worship idols. But somehow, through the preaching of that word by the Apostle Paul, which was just for a short season, they grasped that message of Jesus Christ that had power to transform their lives. That, that led them to leave idolatry, the common practice of their day, and to go out and to serve the living God to the point of exhaustion. Because they were all in. Verse 10. And to wait. How many of you like to wait? One of my greatest virtues is not patience. That's not one of my greatest virtues. My wife can attest to that. I don't like to wait on anything. I really don't. I don't like to wait in line. I don't like to wait on trains. I, I don't like to wait on anything. I don't like to even wait on the mail. It drives me nuts now that our mail comes around 5 o'clock at night. I don't like waiting that late, especially not on the weekend, not on Saturday. But this was an expectant church. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. It was an expectant church waiting on the second coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, it gets a little comical in this book. Because they kind of misinterpreted and misunderstood what Paul was saying when he was there on that first, uh, when he planted the church, they kind of misunderstood the idea of the second coming. And that's one reason why he writes First Thessalonians, is to clear up a little misconceptions about the second coming of Jesus Christ. They thought it was going to happen any second. So a lot of them, they quit their jobs. I mean, why are you going to go to work if Jesus is going to be coming? Why work? And he had to tell them to get back to work. Because he couldn't tell them exactly when Jesus was coming. And so the book does have a few comical spots in it, along with 2 Thessalonians 2 also. You know, I, I like the story about the little boy. He and his father were planning a, a fishing trip for the next day. And uh, the little boy was getting so excited about going fishing with his dad. And it came that evening and he could hardly sleep, but it was time for him to go to bed. And so the, his father took him to bed and tucked him in and gave him a hug and gave him a kiss. And the little boy reached up with his hands and he put him around his dad's neck. 
And he said, Daddy, thank you for tomorrow. He said it twice. Daddy, thank you for tomorrow. The church in Thessalonica was looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ from heaven. And we too today can also have that same certainty of the second coming and we can say, thank you, Father, for tomorrow. Thank you, Father, for tomorrow. An energetic church, an exemplary church, an evangelistic church, and an expectant church for building blocks of a healthy church. And I pray that if that isn't, if those aren't four building blocks of Harvester Church, I pray that sometime soon they become that. I really do. I, I pray that your influence, your witness, will go out past Traverse City, Michigan. I trust that it will. Pastor Bob, I think you've got a scripture to read here, and then we're going to go into the uh, communion service.